So hi, I'm Michael. I'm an entrepreneur, a stand-up comedian. I do a whole bunch of other things. Uh, but right now, I'm your host for what we call the Second Scene Podcast. It is a Dweebs Global production where you can go for free mentorship help. Uh, completely free, completely confidential, anything from resume writing to mental health. It's dweebsglobal.org. Um, so I'm here today with James, and I didn't ask him how to pronounce his last name, Munton? Oh, spot on. You got it right first time. Well done. Sweet. So James is a professional magician, having performed for over 20 years, including at the White House and online for celebrities. James is also an expert on cons, scams, identity theft, and children's online safety. And lastly, he's pretty damn funny. I was watching some of your magic earlier today. So thank you. It's, uh, it's almost, it gets, magic is almost a stand-up act. Uh, well, what I like to say is that um, if the magic is rubbish, then I'm a comedian. And if you don't laugh at my jokes, then I'm a magician. So I'm kind of covered both ways. Yeah. Have you, did you do stand up to prepare for the magic or did you just realize while oh, you were actually, doing magic? It's funny. I have a friend who does um, improvisational comedy, he has like an improv group. And I went to sit, <laughs> I was just totally in awe because that's something I, I don't think I could ever do. And stand up comedy, even though I love watching it and I, I love, I've always loved stand-up comedy since I was a kid. The idea of, of getting up there and just standing there and telling jokes fills me with dread. Now I can get up in front of hundreds and thousands of people and do the magic show and, and kind of do funny things mm-hmm. and say funny things. But I mean, if you strip away the, the magic and, and just, there's, there's no, there's no safety net there. It's just, you know, you've, and, and this idea that it, you could like just talk for 10 minutes and nobody laugh. I mean, that's <laughs> no, I've never done. Maybe one day I'll try it just to, because I've always kind of, you know, like, but it's, you know, I, it, it's interesting because that's just one thing that I don't think I could ever, I could ever do. Right. Yeah. I keep asking because I actually just did my first stand up show last yeah. week. So it was my first ever on stage. And how did it go? Yeah, it was it was awesome. It was such a thrill. But I'm sure you get the same thrill from magic when you're on yeah. the stage and people are clapping. It's that. Yeah, I do. And like, actually, uh, there is a lot of comment. A lot of the magic that I do is for children. I do uh, my main area of uh, expertise and performing is uh, at school shows. So I go to schools all over Texas now, where I live, but actually all over the country, and I do uh, me- motivational and educational magic shows. And uh, it's very interesting because. I've always thought that elementary school aged children uh, are quite similar to drunk adults in many ways. Like there's no filter. They'll just say what they're thinking. Oftentimes they'll be stumbling around in the hallway. They don't look where they're going. They look like little drunk people walking around. And uh, if they don't like something, they'll just tell you. So it's a very honest audience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, my drug of, of my personal drug of choice is just the sound of like 500, you know, seven or eight year olds belly laughing that, that just like that unfiltered, they think it's, they're fun. They're just, there's, they don't yet have that coolness where, you know, they kind of have that, they just let it out and it's just the best sound ever. And, and yes, you're right. As I'm driving home after a, a show from a school and you still have that ringing of, of, you know, 500 little laughter, kids laughing in your ears, it's, it's the best feeling. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so when did you start doing magic? When I was um, about nine or 10 years old, um, I don't think I'd ever really seen a, a birthday party magician or, you know, I, we, I certainly ha- don't think I'd ever had a magician come to my school. Um, there were a couple of, because uh, I grew up in England, there were a couple of TV uh, magicians that, you know, I'd obviously seen. 
But really my first kind of exposure to a uh, sleight of hand was I went on a school uh, field trip, I guess you call it, to the British Museum. So a bunch of us were put on a, a school bus and we dropped off at the museum. And while my classmates were, were taken on a tour of the museum and went in and saw the stuff in there, I snuck out on my own. And because what I'd noticed was on the street, there was a guy with a, a cardboard box turned over and he had three playing cards and he was moving them around and he had a bunch of tourists try and guess which one was the ace. And I, I saw the three card Monty being done in action. And what was amazing was I, I knew, I, I, I was nine years old, but I knew he was cheating. I just knew it because like, it wasn't where you thought it was gonna be. But I saw these other adults losing all this money to him. And I thought, this man is a genius. He's, he stood here for five minutes. He's just made more money than I've ever seen in my life. And so I wanted to learn more about it. So I, what I would do is, and back at that time, nine, 10 year olds would jump on the bus and the train and go around London with our friends. You know, it wasn't these days. I mean, you know, you're a 16 year old, you, you don't let them out of the house. But back then we did that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, I would go down at the, at the weekends and kind of watch the guys and figure out where they were and where they would ply their trade. And, and so my first kind of exposure to all of this uh, magic was the kind of other side of the, the the magic coin which was the the cheating and the scams right and uh and then what happened was after a while of doing this and going you know following these guys around they, they would maybe show me a, a card trick at the end of their their session and they you know they saw i was just a, a kid so they they would and then my mum actually found out what i was doing with my and who i was spending my time with and she wasn't <laughs> very happy about it uh, but she was quite clever because she she got a uh, hold of a local magician uh, who did you know birthday party shows and he gave me some magic lessons and so he taught me how to do some cards so uh, kind of steered me into a more honest uh, <laughs> and so I've always used kind of the the knowledge of uh, sleight of hand and magic for for entertainment purposes um, and but there's there's also that other side where it's obviously used to deceive people for you know financial gain so uh, I've always kept an interest in that side of things as well but from a an, an academic point of view rather than actually doing it got you i know it reminds me like penn and teller i know they're yeah. they're constantly terror you know feverishly against scams and, right. and how people use uh yeah mind well, games and in and fact things. the great harry houdini uh you know over 100 years ago one of the things he, we've just had halloween one of the th he he died on halloween actually uh, one of the things he was very involved with was exposing these fake psychics uh, at that time uh, uh during that age it was very popular for people to have these séances where they would sit around a big table and the lady would say i'm 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 getting uh messages from a, a don in the in the next life and then they but it was a complete scam and they would take advantage of people who just lost their loved ones and built them for all sorts of money but he would he would go in disguise to these uh séances and while everyone was like holding hands, he'd be kind of watching and seeing how, and then he would expose, he would stand up and say, I am Harry Houdini and I know what you're doing. And uh, so he kind of put them all out of business. So there's a long history. And then of course, fast forward, there was the amazing Randy who for many years, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, yeah, but yeah. He, would, he had his million dollar Randy challenge that uh, if you could actually prove any of these uh, uh, psychic phenomena, he would give you a million dollars and uh, no one ever, no one ever won it. So, 
uh, yeah, there's been a long line of people who, uh, magicians who've, who've wanted to expose people using these these tricks basically to deceive people. Right. Amazing Randy. There's a documentary on him that I, I love. I think it's amazing what he, yeah. what he did and what he dedicated his life to essentially. Yeah, really. <laughs> so then uh, fast forward. Uh, so, so I was a magician doing magic shows for several years. And then uh, I wanted to do more kind of speaking um, events and services. And um, so I was told that well, to be booked as a speaker, you need to be an expert on something. I said, well, I'm, I know all this stuff. And they said, yeah, but to be an expert, you have to have a book. You, you can't be considered an expert. With The book is what makes you the expert. <laughs> and so um, a few years ago, I wrote a book about cons and scams and uh, identity theft, and it was published. And, uh, and so then I started doing uh, speaking. But actually, funny, talking about being an expert, um, while I was researching uh, the book, I spoke to um, a former FBI agent. He was actually... Uh, the, one of the agents in charge of catching the Unabomber. Remember the Unabomber who was running around the, and yeah, so he yeah. was on the case that caught him and he had retired and he was trying to, uh, you know, book himself as a speaker and no one would book him. And this is a guy with like 25 years experience for the FBI had like worked on some of the biggest, biggest cases. And then uh, he, he published a book and the next day his phone started ringing with people wanting to book his speaking services. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> So what is, what's the most common scam that you see people getting caught? Oh, by? I mean, there's so many different ones. There's certainly uh, scams that become kind of the scam du jour, the, you know, a topical scam. For example, anytime there's a, a terrible uh, hurricane or, you know, natural disaster, the very next day, people start getting phone calls asking for like phony donations and that kind of thing. And so there's a lot of that. Um, there's... Uh, uh, what's interesting is a lot of the old phone scams that kind of disappeared for a while or weren't as popular are now coming back. And uh, I think what happened was uh, a lot of those scams that were being done by email, well, our email started getting smarter and blocking a lot of that stuff. So they've actually gone back to the phones and also they've actually gone back to the mailbox. Uh, people are getting a lot more um, scams, uh, you know, in, in the snail mail. Uh, so that's that's starting to come back as well. Um, but the, I mean, most scams uh, are, are fairly similar in their nature. They're going to try and get you to give them some money or in the case of identity theft, information about yourself. Um, uh, and they're going to have some deception that enables that. And so the, um, the story around the scam kind of can change, but the basics of it pretty much are consistent, you know, in each case. Got you. I can't imagine getting snail mail uh, 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 scam scam right now. I can't imagine opening my mail. But I, uh, I mean, uh, around tax season, for example, people start getting all sorts of things uh, about taxes. There's another one. Uh, you've won a, a big prize in a competition. There was a, in our book, actually, there was a, a college professor, a Canadian college professor who lost hundreds of thousands of dollars because he got a, uh, a scam letter through the mail that said he'd won uh, a, whole bunch, uh, a fabulous prize, but it was the money was in America. And so in order to get the money transferred to his account, it started this whole chain of deception in which he lost all this money. So yeah, it, it, it's... And the other thing is, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to do the book and do the presentations, it's because you're probably having the same reaction that many people do, which is, I can't believe people fall for this stuff. You know, I can't mm -hmm. believe, you know, anyone would 
hand over the money. But these con artists are very good in the same way that when you go to see Penn and Teller do their magic show, they trick you, they fool you. You know, you're watching them so closely and you still can't figure out how it's done. It's the same thing. Everyone thinks they can't be fooled until they end, uh, until they are. And uh, so one of the nice things about doing magic is I would be, I would be able to do some magic for the audience and fool them to show them that, look, I just did a trick and you were deceived and, and then show them how that can translate into a scam. Now, actually, one of the, uh, the fun experiences I had was I've been invited a few times to do uh, presentations for the Dallas Police Department. And so they do their in-service training for their, you know, uh, their, their police officers. And one of the elements of that is um, cons and scams and identity theft. And uh, one of the trainers told me that they were having a problem with these cops, like not, not really, um, uh, not taking it as seriously as maybe they should and, and, and uh, just kind of assuming that it's your fault if you got, you know, if you're the victim. Uh, so they, they brought me in to kind of fool these guys and show them how easy it is to be fooled and then kind of hopefully soften them up a bit so they, they, they take it more seriously the next time they get a call. You think it worked? Uh, I think so. One of the things that was very funny is I still have a sore thumb. This was like a couple of years ago. Uh, one of the things I do in my presentation is I allow uh, people to tie my thumbs together with a zip tie very tightly, and then I yeah. escape. Well, I got these two cops up, and uh, this one guy yanked this zip tie on my thumbs. I thought it broken my thumb. It was, it was like, it was, I, and uh, I almost didn't get out of it, but I did manage to get out of it, but it took a, it took a while longer than I thought it would. But no, it, they were a great bunch. Uh, I, I always had a lot of fun doing those uh, uh, training seminars. Um, but uh, yeah, a, an interesting crowd. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I don't, yeah, I don't know if I would let them they, they rip your finger off with the zip tie if they do it hard enough. <laughs> What's the difference? Is there a difference between a con and a, and a scam? It's essentially Not the same really. thing. I mean, they're just kind of different words for the, for the same thing. Um, some people think that a, a con is more of a, um, or a scam is more of a kind of a, a, a smaller thing. And a con is, you know, you have the long con where it's kind of a more involved pyramid scheme or Ponzi scheme is, you know, involving thousands of people, for example. But they're, they're, the, the, the terms are basically interchangeable. Got you, got you. Um, I guess for your performances for the kids, is that kind of... Uh teach them early how to avoid oh, yes I, so one of the things I, I have some different shows that I do for the the at the schools for the kids and one I have is uh, online safety and online responsibility and partly it's to do with cyber bullying and stranger danger uh, but the other thing is there's a component of it and, and it applies to us adults now as well um, uh, I mean you, you were talking about your wife not having the vaccine earlier See, I knew I'd find a way to get it in there. But you know, all the misinformation that's out there and how do we, uh, when we're confronted with all, all this information, decide which is truthful and which is not. And so uh, that is something that, that kids have to learn quite early because they're going, they don't read newspapers anymore. They don't go to CNN. They get their news from bloody TikTok. So, you know, the, they need to learn as a generation more than you know, any other that, uh, that there are certain sources that can be trusted in terms of the newsworthiness more than others. Now, we can get into a great debate about all of this, but, you know, <laughs> because even the, even the established news sources, you've got Fox News and MSNBC and, you know, whether you go left or right. But there is, I mean, when they're getting like their information from some like other 13 year old 
YouTube or TikToker, mm -hmm. you know, they need to know, recognize that there, there are different ways that you can tell what, what's legit and what's not. Yeah, I feel like I'm getting all my my news from legit places and I understand how to differentiate yeah. what is fake and what is not. But right. I feel like the world is having a lot of trouble with it. And it's also harder to to teach people how to differentiate it. Yeah, I'm hopeful. I think we will get through it. I think we have to understand that a lot of this stuff is is all in its infancy. It's all very young. And mm -hmm. so I think um, that ultimately we'll find ways to um, you know, fix the, the misinformation issue without necessarily impinging on free speech. Because one of the great things about the situation we have now is, look, you and I are talking on a podcast. We can, we can put this information out there. Anyone can listen to it. The barriers to entry are very low in terms of people getting their voice heard. But what that means is everyone can have their voice heard, even the voices that maybe shouldn't be heard so but i think we'll find a way i think we will find a way of getting there and i think also uh we human beings will develop better ways of judging you know the worthiness and uh, the truthfulness of, of the information we're receiving i hope you're right i really do i'm an optimist yeah i'm in the middle somewhere <laughs> <laughs> i do have 12 and 10 year old boys any advice for how i can protect them because they're just my they're getting online a lot now yeah, what well, do you, so one of the things that I say to parents is, uh, you know, oftentimes parents say, uh, can, can, do you have any advice for tracking software so I can see what they're doing online and I can, I can read their messages and, and I, you know, I have a, a teenage daughter myself, uh, you as a parent do not have enough hours in the day to read through all the text messages that are ding, 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 you, you, you simply can't follow them around on, on the web. And in a way that our parents didn't expect to kind of follow us around or listen to every conversation we had. But as parents, I think what we need to do is to open lines of communication with our kids as much as possible, because ultimately the information they need to hear is nothing new. It's the, it's the same things that our parents, you know, would ask us the same questions. Who are you? You know, I'm going out, mum. Where are you? Where are you going? Who are you going to be with? What time are you going to be back home? You know, simple questions like that that parents need to ask their kids when they're going out on the internet. So even though your your son's sitting in his bedroom, he's talking to people out there. He's interacting with people. Uh, so who are you? Who, where are you going? What what games are you playing? Where are you going on the internet? What you know methods are you using to to chat with your friend? Who are these people you're chatting with? Do you know them in the real world as well as online or are these just online people? And if you've never met this person before, then you have to have uh, your, your kind of warning barriers up a little higher and don't disclose information about yourself because this is a stranger, stranger danger, right? We don't know who this person is, even that you've been, you know, and you don't even know how old this person is. I mean, you know, we all hear stories about people, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, pretending to be, you know, kids and, and they're really adults. But the other thing is now uh, kids are, they know that, you know, playing games with older adults and uh, they, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily have the street smarts that we developed. Um, and uh, our job as parents is to, to, to teach them these things. And the only way you do that is by talking about things. And I tell you, I, you know, now we're able to go back to restaurants again and, you know, uh, uh, it, it, it reminds me of something uh, that I find terribly sad is, is you go into a restaurant 
and you look over at the table of a family that's maybe their their one time they got together that week everyone's got these busy schedules and so they they go out to to dinner and they're sitting around that table and what do you see they're all on their phones you know the kids on their ipad dad's looking at, they're not in they're not talking with each other they're not interacting so you know it's it's um put the phones down for for an hour have dinner together and have some conversations and and uh and chat with each other and and uh, i do think that through talking with your kids you'll learn as much about their world as, as they learn they need to learn about ours right it makes a lot of sense yeah when we we don't allow uh games or anything at the tables when we eat. we do we play rummy 500 and play a little card little card game with each other or chess yeah and we talk, it gets you talking about the day and everything else while you're doing it so you know what's funny michael i i did a, a parents presentation at a school at, um so i'd, I'd done a, a presentation for the kids earlier and then in the evening i came back and did a, a talk for the parents and uh at the end one of the the mums said uh, told said what happened uh, they last summer they went on a, a family vacation they'd rented a, a, a like a cabin in the woods somewhere and when they got there to the to uh, to their horror they discovered that there was no wi-fi that they had no internet connection and they couldn't get any cell phone reception and the kids were like well we're gonna have to go back home then obviously we can't stay here <laughs> for a week with no with no internet well they said no we're gonna stay here and so the, the, she said the first 24 hours were horrible. Like the kids were like miserable and moody. But then day two, they discovered a whole stack of board games on a shelf. So they pulled those <laughs> out. There were some jigsaw puzzles. They went for walks and they had a technology free week in the woods. And she said when they were driving home, the kids were like, we want to do this again next year. They, they loved it. So it's very interesting. We kind of think that everyone's addicted to this technology um, I was uh, another interesting uh, that goes with this. I was actually talking to a doctor not long ago, and he is a doctor who runs um, a substance abuse uh, clinic. And so his patients come in because they're addicted to heroin and crack and alcoholics. And the very first thing they do on day one is they take away their technology, their phones, and they, they confiscate them. And he said, what's interesting is the uh, withdrawal symptoms of removing technology from someone, especially a young person, a teenager, are very similar to the withdrawal symptoms when you when you don't let an alcoholic have a beer or a, a drug addict have a drug. They, they they get anger. They start pleading with you. They lie to you. They do all these things just because you took their phone away. And any parent listening to this who's taken a phone away from their kid knows what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. But the good news is this. He said 24 hours. Like they're still hooked to all the other drugs and shit that's in their system. But that technology addiction is gone in 24 hours. So this, okay. this thing of 24 hours seems to be, if you can get through a 24 hour period with no phone, you're going to be okay for another, another week or so. Okay. I, you know, maybe I'll pretend, I don't know where we'd go. We have no cell reception. Maybe I'll pretend we don't. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll disable it somehow. It's yeah. so tricky at home. Now I'm going to this conversation, but it's so tricky at home. Yeah. Uh, Cause um for them to be social and for them to be able to talk to their friends and right. you know they need to be they need almost to play the games or to get online or yeah. to do that stuff just for the social life aspect of it because all their friends do it yeah uh, but you know what's interesting what COVID has taught us is that for some kids um they're okay doing that i mean some kids are okay just being on their own in a bedroom and and just talking to their friends virtually but most kids they need the face-to-face. -face. They need the physical interaction. They need the groups. They need the one-to-ones. They need all of that. And uh, 
I think we're going to be dealing with the kind of the psychological effects of the COVID with our teenagers for a while, because uh, a lot of them just, they were so miserable. And uh, I know from my own daughter's uh, experience, um, how important it was for her to get back to school and to have that opportunity to have face to face. So again, as you know, my optimism, as we were talking earlier, I think we're also going to get to a point where, you know, our technology becomes healthier, that, you know, it's that we learn to find that balance in the same way that like, I like a beer or a glass of wine with dinner, but I'm not a raging alcoholic. You know what I mean? We find a way most, now there are some people that can't do that. They, you know, one beer is going to end up being 10 and, you know, beer is not for you, my friend. But I think with most of us, we, we are getting to the point where technology, we, we can put it down for a while. And we, we can recognize when we're getting those feelings that ah, I've got to, do, I've got to go for a walk. I've got to get some fresh air. And uh, so, so I think we'll, I think we'll get there. Great. Well, Again, I like the positivity. <laughs> so we will. So just to just to finish up with your magic, uh, how was it over COVID? What did you end up doing? Well, uh, actually, it was good, uh, Michael. I, it, I was very fortunate that quite quickly I figured out a way to do my shows virtually, and so I did a lot of Zoom shows, and uh, then I also did a lot of um, uh, like pre-recorded video shows for the schools where I, I put together a, a basically it looked like a Zoom show, but I'm doing my whole show like this. And then they they would buy the uh, the video version of that. Uh, and uh, but the Zoom shows at first, I hated them because it's all the thing, reasons we hate Zoom meetings as, you know, all the technical difficulties and everything. But, um, there was there was quite quickly there was a there was a, a, a click where I kind of figured it out. I figured out how to do them and how to make them work. And then I ended up loving doing them because I haven't done uh, birthday party magic shows since you know I started out way back when, 20 years ago. And uh, a lot of the shows I was doing was with birthday party shows. So it was kind of like a, a full circle. And um, there was something really moving and fun about even though we're in this crazy time where people aren't allowed out of their homes and they can't, you know, meet with people, these kids could still have a birthday party, even though it was a Zoom birthday party, but I would bring in grandma and she, and I would do some fun with her. And, and in some cases, these people on the other side of the world, you know, so I had birthday parties where the, you know, family was in the Middle East, the, the kids were in New York and everywhere. And, uh, and then, uh, so we, at the end, we would all do the singing of happy birthday and the, the candles and all the little windows. And then I'd get the kids to say a little message. And then we would finish up with a dance party. So it was, <laughs> and the kids would all go. To, and it was just so wonderful to see. And uh, almost every time, every single time, the mum would have like a, a, a tear at the end. It was just like really emotional. Um, oh, nice. and, uh, and then I had some crazy experiences. Like I got to do some shows for some really cool people like uh, I got a, I got to do a birthday party show for um, you know the actor Ryan Reynolds uh, of course, and, yeah. and Blake Lively and their kids and I'm I'm sitting here like I'm with you doing my and I'm like it's Ryan Reynolds <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know they, they, they were dancing along joining all the the crazy stuff and uh, it, it was so much funny I'm like there's Deadpool and I'm <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> so uh, so actually it was a lot of fun uh, but I'll tell you, um, when uh, I got this school year and the schools were opened back up, or a lot of them are, that first show that I did with real 
kids in a real room when I'm there and like we were talking earlier about the sound of the kids laughing and I was like oh my gosh I've missed this so much it was so good to be back able to do it it's definitely nice to have crowds back around yeah I do improv and doing improv uh on zoom yeah well and that's the other thing you've got to like mute everybody otherwise it's crazy so you deliver your zinger and it's like just shh, there's no look at the laughter <laughs> yes yes <laughs> I just assumed I was not funny. I just yeah. assumed that was why there was no <laughs> there was no laughter going on. Yeah. Well, that's great. Where can people find you? Well, um, I've got a few websites. JamesMunton.com is my kind of catch-all website. Um, uh, JamesWand.org is my kind of school shows. Um, I don't know if I mentioned, but my my character that I do when I go into the schools is I'm a, a secret agent magician. Mm-hmm. James Wand, the spy magician. Okay. And so... Uh, I do a fun show around that. And uh, yeah. All right, great. We will put both of those links underneath the video and the podcast so people can find you. That's jamesmunton.com, M-U-N-T-O-N.com. Yeah, you got so, it. Thank you so much for being here today with me. It was my pleasure. And good luck with the, uh, the comedy career, Michael. Thank you. We'll see if it lasts more than one performance. I'm sure it will. <laughs> so again, this has been a Dweebs Global Production where you can go for free mentorship help. Anything from resume writing, to mental health. It is free, confidential, and they're there waiting to help. We have people like around the world, every country, every language. There's somebody to help you. Dweebsglobal.org. See you all next week.